What's up, guys? This is the 404, the show for Atlanta sports fans to sound off on the latest in the 404 sports scene. I'm your host, Isaiah, and I'll be here to guide you through all the triumphs and the tragedies of sports around the 404. It won't always be pretty, but I can promise you it will be fun. So, ATL, let's talk. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Hello, Atlanta. Thank you guys for listening, no matter what time of day it is. Um, thank you for listening and tuning in to the 404 Forum. Um, I am your host, Isaiah Smith, here to bring you guys another episode. I'm ready to talk Hawks. So I'm going to be kind of a special episode, going to be a quickie, but a goodie, if you will. Um, but first, before we get started, make sure to follow us on social media. Check us out on Facebook at the 404 Forum. That is the, and then the number four, number zero, and then the word forum. And also, on Twitter, check us out at the 404 forum that is at the number four number zero f-o-r-u-m as well um also be sure to listen weekly ish we're still trying to get into that rotation and figure out exactly what day we're going to drop but with the hawks being in the playoffs and different things like that happening um it's a lot of fun to kind of throw these things out as they happen and get to react almost in real time and really get the analysis out there in in kind of a timely manner and, and when it's breaking and it's still hot news and not be tied to a weekly schedule so who knows that may be the way we go and i'll just surprise you guys with episodes make you guys log on and check us out on social media to know when they drop um, and turn those notifications on as well but be sure to listen to us you can catch us on spotify apple Podcasts, anchor wherever you get your podcast but um with all that aside all that out of the way now let's let's talk hawks let's jump in um the hawks their season appeared to be on life support um with uh with with 24 minutes left to play 24 minutes of game time left um last night about i guess you could say about 8 30 that it looked like their season was on life support and they were really 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 drawing those last breaths but they regained life. They found their rhythm. Um, you know, Nate McMillan went in, did CPR, performed some emergency surgery, I guess, in the locker room, and really helped the team regain its life. So as far as that goes, just kind of looking at that performance, there are a lot of thoughts. And if you've listened to the national or the regional pundits or whoever, um, I'm sure you heard a lot of thoughts. But I'm, I'm going to chime in with mine, and we'll see where they shake out, obviously. But, um, you know, this group, this Hawks team, they fought all season. We, we know that. Trey Young said it in the post game interview i believe um in an article with the athletic he talked about they fought all season and that's the mentality they've had so the mentality was there and i'm sure the thought from them was why stop now but i think the the grit and the fight and the ability to overcome and and play through some adversity there early in the in the game and and really thrive late it shows the maturation of this group that's that's really what i want to harp on and what i want to talk about is the maturation of this group and then also just the excellence of the coaching staff and I'll kind of start in reverse order and talk about the staff first. But the staff's brilliance really showed. I thought it showed thrice. It showed three times in this in this game. Once at the very beginning, I thought giving Kevin Hurd the start um, to kind of give yourself an extra ball handler, some extra shooting, some extra offense, kind of give you that jolt and that boost to start the game. And you did get it. You got it. You held serve early, and then Philly kind of stretched their lead out. And then the Hawks did a lot of grinding and battling and whatever that was, and they came back and won. But starting Hurd really did help you keep pace and not let them just come out of the out of the gate and blitz you. And I think maybe starting Herder was a bit of a desperation move, if you want to call it that. Um, we got to put our best guys out here. We got to put our best lineup out here. Herder had been effective, wasn't as effective in the starting lineup, but still got the job done. Um, but I think that was the first brilliant move from the staff was to get Herder in the starting lineup and let him kind of work his magic from the beginning and give them a little bit extra there. But again, you see it at the half to get the team refocused, the team back energized, 
figure out whatever they need to do defensively because whatever they did in the first half it wasn't working there was a lot of standing around a lot of watching um not a lot of activity and movement you know it's okay to make mistakes defensively and this goes for a multitude of sports but you got to make them go at 100 miles an hour you know you can you know speed and playing hard covers up a multitude of sins but what the hawks were doing they weren't playing with much speed they weren't playing very hard on that end either um but you know nate millen probably went and said a few choice words and they really turned it around and so i think that um you know shows the the ability of the coaching staff to just milk every ounce and get the most out of this group and out of the, the team that they have before them right now. And also, again, you see it in the third quarter to go with the lineup of Gallinari, John Collins, and Clint Capella. Now, I'm not going to play semantics about who's playing the three and who's playing the four. We know Capella was the five, obviously. Um, but to play that group along with Trey Young and Bogey Bogdanovich to counteract the Sixers' size was a, was a very good move. It's one of the first time we, times we've seen that lineup really all season, and it worked out to perfection. So I think we can expect to see that again, at least in this next game, and see how the Sixers play and see if they have an answer for it. But um, it got the Hawks back into the game with this group, and we've seen some big groups with the team. We've seen um, the combination of, like, Gallinari and Okongwu and, and Collins or Capella or whoever it may be. Um, we've seen we've seen some bigger lineups deployed, but we hadn't seen them with the, with the starters. We've seen them with the bench with, say, Lou Williams, Kevin Herter, and then Gallo Collins and, you know, Capella or whoever it may be. We hadn't seen it with Trey Young and, Bogdan, and Bogey Bogdanovich. We hadn't seen them out there with the big group. And so I think that may have had something to do with it. You have Gallinari, who's a great offensive player. Collins is a very good offensive player. But you have that firepower at the guard spot that they have to respect, the surefire guys, instead of, you know, Lou Williams and Kevin Herter, who no slights to them because I'm going to give them their praises here in a bit. But they're, they're still not Trey Young and Bogdanovich out there. Um and I assume that had something to do with Herter in the starting lineup to play Gallinari or slash Collins with that bigger lineup it had something to not have Herter be a guard come off the bench and Gallinari had to kind of move into that role. But um, nonetheless, I think that's something to watch with the with the starter, with Herter in the lineup and the starters and the bench being a little bit different and the rotation having to kind of jumble it out. But, um, I, but I thought the halftime fix – was kind of where we started to see the maturation of the players too. Um, they took coaching, they didn't quit, they came out fighting, and it's not like they, they shot 80% in the second half and things were just easy and the Sixers rolled over. No, they had to fight. They had to grind it out at times and they did. They only shot about 38% for the game and, and you know, that you're not supposed to win a lot of those games, especially if you're the Hawks that rely on shooting the three and shooting the ball. Um, shooting 38% and about 30% from three is not going to get it done a lot of times if you're the Hawks or a team that relies on jump shooting. But Trey Young and Bogey, they didn't have it going most of the nights. And as Jeff Schultz said in the story that he wrote for The Athletic, it's probably written somewhere in basketball heaven that um, games like this aren't supposed to happen and turn out the way they did where the Hawks win after shooting such a poor percentage. But, you know, the maturation of these guys lies in that um, it wasn't always pretty. Uh, but they kept grinding. They find, found a way to get it done. John Collins brought energy and brought the early rally and got the crowd up after halftime, and I'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, but Bogdanovich was a leader and made shots when you needed him the most. He didn't make a ton of shots, but he made. it seemed like when they did go in, they were in big moments. They were when they needed a bucket. They were when they needed to break a, a rally or a run by Philly there. Um, and then, you know, Trey Young put on an absolute show, with even with the bum shoulder, 25 points, 18 assists, could have easily had over 20 assists because they missed a bunch of 
bunnies in the first half. And you heard John Collins say that if you heard some of his post-game interviews and some of his stuff he 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 was saying today, they missed a lot of bunnies. They missed a lot of easy ones. But um, also to talk about some of those other contributors, Lou Williams, he only had nine, I think, but he hit some big, big shots in, in, the, in, the, in the game in the first half, especially to kind of keep them in it and just keep them relevant, but also to keep things rolling and kind of engineer the offense into the third, you know, late in the third, early fourth after the, you know, the big rally, John Collins had a couple dunks and things like that. It got, got things rolling. Lou Williams came in and really helped the offense not miss a beat, kept them playing up tempo, um, kept running the show the way, you know, in a way that Trey wasn't and kind of kept the momentum moving. Um, Clint Capella was big on the glass all night. He did his job against Joel Embiid. You can't ask for much more from that guy, considering all the disadvantages he's at with Joel Embiid being bigger, stronger, thicker, um, all these things. Um, but you're also getting great contribution contributions from your role players. You know, talked about about Gallinari, um, kind of maybe playing out of position a bit and playing some guard or playing you know the small forward role. But also you're getting minutes and good minutes, I'll say, from guys like Anyeka Kongwu. Um, for the second time in this series and maybe third or fourth time in these playoffs, I thought, man, you know, just it, he's kind of stood out. You thought, man, uh, you know, that he's playing well. He's playing. He's active. He's doing the things you need him to do defensively. Offensively, he's not a finished product yet, but he's still getting the job done offensively and doing some good things. He got to the free throw line, I believe, in this last game. And I think he's going to be a tough guy to guard when he adds weight, develops a little more offensively and gets you know figures the game out because he's already doing a lot of good things defensively he's already been and that's what he was brought in into the league to do I think I think it's why the Hawks picked him where they did they knew his defensive ability and ceiling um, but when he finds it offensively he's going to be a very valuable piece I think but the Hawks as a whole the team they're mature enough to know that it wasn't flowing offensively they were careful with the ball they only had four turnovers and that's something that you don't see from teams where their core basically has nine games of playoff experience in their entire careers. I mean, you remove Capella, um, Gallinari, Lou Williams, but you know, and those guys being, you know, good players and contributors. But if you think about the core, the, um, you know, the Bogdanoviches, the, the Trey young, you know, the herders, John Collins, those core guys that you really think of first, um, They've only got they don't even have 10 games of playoff experience, um, you know, in their careers. This is their first playoffs. So to be able to have four turnovers and, and handle the situation and, and the occasion like veterans and really take care of the basketball, um, I think that was a big key because it allowed them to get shots. If you don't turn the ball over often, well, that means you're taking shots at the end of possessions. They took 101 shots to Phillies 85, excuse me. Now, Grant, the Hawks only made 30 something of their shots. Um, but they still got up more shots. And nonetheless, the more good shots you get up, the better chance you have to make make some of those good shots and and eventually over, overcome a deficit or, or keep your lead and extend the lead. Um, and, and it just goes to show turnovers are the worst way to end a possession because you've got no chance to score. But, you know, maybe the thing that – I would say I'm most proud of. I know Nate McMillan would say he's proud of, and I won't, I guess me for me, not proud of, but just it makes you kind of takes you aback and makes you open your eyes about the team. Um, the biggest step is the maturity on defense. People said this team couldn't defend and they weren't saying it when the season began last 
October or November. They weren't saying it in, you know, January or February around the all-star break when they were 14 and 20, they weren't saying it, you know, before they made their, their run made a push for the four seed and ended up in the five seed here, you know, a couple months ago, they were saying it when the playoffs began two or three weeks ago that they were still saying that they said, well, the Hawks get it. You know, they can't defend defensively. What are they going to do? Are they going to be able to find answers when they have to play the Embiid's, the Simmons, um, you know, the, the Curry's and those people. And they found an answer late. It wasn't pretty, and they didn't defend well for an entire half. But when it counted, when they needed stops, especially in those final two possessions, they defended. They defended it well um, in a game, essentially, when it came down to it being their playoff lives. The big stop on Philly's final possession, up one, and they got another up three to close the game if you didn't watch the game and didn't see those. But that's what championship teams do. It's not always pretty, but they find a way. So, you know, it kind of um, kind of, you know, also you want to talk about maturity and guys growing up before your eyes. Um, Last night, also, John Collins, his effect on the game. Um, You know, I I said it before and talked about it with uh, Deshaun Tate and kind of got into this a little bit. But last night or when I talked with Deshaun Tate about John Collins and his contract situation and things like that, um, we I said, you know, it's one of those things, almost like a Draymond Green to Golden State comparison with Collins to the Hawks Two. Most teams in the NBA, Draymond Green's not a max contract player. And that may be true for John Collins. To the general NBA team, John Collins doesn't possess a skill set or anything that makes him a max contract to most guys. But to the Warriors, Draymond is a max contract guy for a lot of reasons. He brings the, the, the toughness, the defense, you know, yada, 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 so on and so forth. We can talk about that on another day. But for the Hawks, it's the same thing with John Collins. He brings a flair. He brings the ability to kind of be the spark when they need it with his athleticism, his ability to play in the pick and roll. Um, he can shoot the three much better than he could when he came into the league. Um, and, and not to make every game a referendum on, you know, his pending contract negotiation, because it's an easy thing to do. They've already, you know, some you hear the radio shows and different people want to do it all the time um, and want to discuss it with every good game, with every bad game, you know, want to have that conversation and not, and not to do that here, but it is a very prevalent topic. But I think, you know, Collins showed up and showed out Monday night. He finished with 14 points, 11 boards. And like I said, was huge in that third quarter comeback with the dunks. He got the crowd back into the game, um, really made it tough on Embiid, being a tough box out and working hard on the glass when Embiid would get matched up with him. Um, and so Collins is the party starter at times. And without him, they don't win that game Monday night. I really don't think they do um, because nobody brings those explosive plays. Nobody brings the bounciness, the lob catching, the whatever um, in those critical moments. And that's what they need. So if you're the Hawks, I think when it comes time, you know, to evaluate his contract status and figure out how much you're going to pay him and things like that this upcoming offseason, um, that's a big thing the management's going to have to consider. Front office is really going to have to take that into consideration when they decide what to do. Um, but nonetheless, when just looking at the Hawks, this team, and thinking about, you know, that exciting game four um, and tying the series up two to two, I think at the end of the day, end of the day to me, there's one overarching takeaway. And 
you know, the maturity and the maturation of the team and looking at their, the intangibles and the things that they brought and things they did to come back from 18 down and, you know, survive like a 24 to four run or whatever it was by Philly in the first half. Uh, But, you know, looking at this team as it's presently constructed right now and kind of making, drawing conclusions, making observations, I heard someone discussing, you know, what to make of these playoffs and what do we think of the Hawks as a whole after their round one victory and maybe after beating Philly in game one. And a lot of people overreacted. A lot of people had some disrespect mixed in there, whatever it was. But the one thing I'm prepared to say is this. Of all the teams that are in the playoffs right now that are left, and maybe even the teams in the league, I'll even say, this team is the one that is best situated for long-term success. And I think maybe even you can say has the largest championship window as of now. They want to win now. I want to win now. You know, essentially, you're playing with house money. Nobody expected you to be here. So as long as you're playing with house money, you may as well go win the whole thing. You know, where you're you're not everything you're doing now is a new experience. It's different. Nobody really expected you to be here. Nobody thought you were going to be this far. Nobody expected you to be two two with the Sixers. Nobody really expected you to maybe even win two games with the Sixers. People, a lot of people wrote them off after seeing games two and three. But nonetheless, you're here. You're in a position to win it. So make go out and win it and get to a conference finals and see what happens from there you never know you know injuries happen different things can happen and you never know where you're going to be in two or three weeks but with all that in mind you know the Hawks want to win now that's a very clear goal I think and you saw that with the construction of this roster but the facts are most of this core is under 27 28 years old so this team's constructed for many 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 more runs And if this is what they're doing now without any real playoff experience aside from a couple of guys and, you know, the core of your team, you know, you can argue doesn't really know what they're doing. They're just going. You don't know what you don't know, in a sense. Um, Imagine how scary it's going to be when they put it together, when when they know the ropes and they learn how the playoff basketball works and know the ropes of the league and, and different things like that. You know, they've gotten punched in the mouth repeatedly by Philly in this series, and they've gotten blown bloodied and a lot of people thought and for a lot of people a lot of teams that would have been enough for them for them to sit down and say hey we're done after you get punched in the mouth like they did in in game three a lot of teams they could have rolled over they could have just said ah you know what we'll get ready for next year nobody expected us to be this far anyway we won a game in round two yeah let's just get ready for next year but they didn't they didn't roll over they came out they fought they scrapped they did what they were supposed to do and now they're sitting in a tied series basically making it a three-game series now and who knows what could happen? They've they've extended the series. They've given themselves more life. But getting punched in the mouth and, and taking your lumps and all those things, I, I kind of equate it to having having like a, a college student having a job. Um, if I'm a college student want to be an investment banker and I can get my internships at Wall Street, I got a leg up. You know, I, it just it just is. Um, even though I'm going to take some lumps, I don't know everything. I'm going to get laughed at a little bit. Probably they're going to call me an idiot or whatever. I've got an advantage of if the ultimate goal is to make it to Wall Street, I've got an advantage over the guy who just interned at his hometown J.P. Morgan or, or whatever, he, you know, the hometown region's bank or whatever. And it's the same for the Hawks, getting punched in the mouth, getting these lumps, bloodied up, whatever you want to call it, getting this playoff experience, valuable playoff experience puts them at a position to reach the pinnacle of the NBA, which is a title, to win a title, I think, sooner and allows them to take on that role of the teacher over some of these other young and up-and-coming teams who will be in the title conversation and in the mix for years to come. And it also allows them to kind of be the aggressor, be the tone setter, know what they have to do to go out and beat a, beat a team that's favored over them, beat a veteran team. Um, so really, 
I really do think this experience is going to be invaluable when you look at the maturation of Trey Young, of Herder, of, you know, Bogey Bogdanovich, even of some of those guys that this is going to be invaluable experience, not just right now looking at it in a small, you know, in a, in a, in a narrow lens for this series and this season, but looking at it three, four years down the road when we're talking about can the Hawks be champions or what do they have to do to be champions again? Um, hopefully we're having that conversation. So that this will all be valuable experience and things that you'll look back on. And so remember in that Philly series a couple years ago, when, well, they're doing that consistently now they're doing it more. So that that's, that's all, it's all a fun thing to look forward. Um, and I think that's one of the things you have to, you, you kind of have to do in this play in these playoffs with the, the young team, like the Hawks, but, as far as, you know, the rest of this series, kind of keeping it here, um, you know, what does game four do for the rest of the series? Well, obviously, it sets up a best of three for now, and I think that's a positive thing for the Hawks. The more miles you put on Philly, I think the better, um, especially with Joel Embiid's knee clearly not getting any better anytime soon, it appears with the more he plays on it. Right now, he's listed as questionable. That, that's a new one. We haven't seen him listed as that in the injury report. I don't see how he doesn't give it a go. Personally, I don't see how he doesn't give it a go, especially at home. Uh, you know, the mood around Philly or at least Philly Twitter is that the sky is falling with the fan base. So I think there's very little doubt that he's going to give it a shot. Maybe he can't go after a warm up or whatever, but I think th- him not even suiting up is out of the question. He's going to give it a go. Um, and it's the postseason. There's something wrong with everybody. So I think, you know, like I said, things have to be terrible for him not to play. Um, but I do think that knee plays a major, major factor in the outcome of this series. It, it, it could be the telltale in, in this series. Um, and, and speaking of Embiid and the knee, you know, the stat I'm interested to see, I, I really want to see this stat if someone can find it or ESPN can pull it up. But what percentage of shots in the paint was Embiid getting a contest on or a good contest I'll say what percentage of shots in the paint was he coming over rotating getting a good contest on making it tough and then I want to also see what percentage did he get did he get to in the second half of the game last night because there were a lot of possessions if you watch that game where Embiid looked like he was just a step slow getting there to contest and also, it looked like he he just couldn't get there. He couldn't get there in time to contest, or he just didn't go at all. He would just stay on the ground because I, maybe the knee was the knee was obviously giving him some trouble and bothering him. So, what percentage of shots in the paint did he get a contest on? And then, what percentage did he get a contest on in the second half last night? And on that same note, I want to know what percentage were the Hawks shooting in the paint throughout the series versus what they shot last night? Because I'm willing to bet you last night's percentage went way up, and in beads, you know contest numbers going down is a direct core is a direct relation to that so i think you know the hawks also last night in in game game four they found the pace they need to play at along with you know Embiid having the wobbly knee or whatever you want to talk about there and his knee giving him trouble and you know maybe taking it at him or what what whatnot um the hawks found the pace that they need to play at yes Ben Simmons and Philly want to play fast, but they're not as deep. They're not as young as the Hawks. And quite frankly, their best player right now cannot play at that pace for very long stretches because I think that knee is really giving him trouble. Um, so even, you know, if you're the Hawks, you're not making transition threes and whatnot at a high volume, um, you know, 
it's crucial to keep pushing to get those get that early offense, get those good shots, great shots early in the clock. Um, because the more good shots you get, the better chance you got of knocking, got of getting hot and knocking them down. Shooting is contagious. We, you know, I've said it, I say it all the time. Shooting is contagious. One guy starts making shots, seems like everybody wants to. It happens two teams. It happens two teams all the time. So now I think it may be the Hawks' turn to be the team that that gets hot and and that happens to someone else. But as far as the Hawks go, looking forward um looking to game five you know what are the keys to a game five victory that is what everyone wants to know now so i think it first starts with the tempo pace 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 we saw the tempo they need to play at we've talked about it just a minute ago um we saw them do it in game one for a long stretch, saw them do it in game four for a half. They need to find that earlier and sustain it for a longer stretch, just like they did in game one when they sustained it for basically three and a half quarters. Um, clearly that works. It gives them an advantage, uh, you know, whether it's the volume of shots they get up, whether it's the quality of shots or both. If you get up a lot of good shots, you can probably expect to make a lot of them or a good many of them. So whether whatever the, the key there is, it gives the Hawks an advantage. The second thing they got to do is just make shots. If you're going to push it and get good looks early in the shot clock in transition, you just got to make shots. It's easier said than done, but I think the dam has to break sometimes for the Hawks, for, for Atlanta. Game one, you know, I don't think that was just it because things went – they went cold again. They didn't shoot the ball great for two games, really three of the next three games. Um, they made up for some of the misses in New York in game one. But Bogey, Trey, Gallinari, Herder, those guys are due. They're due to kind of have a stretch where they are just kind of torrid, where they just torch the nets and and light it up from outside. And you also have to forget or can't forget, we haven't had a Lou Will game yet. We haven't seen Lemon Pepper Lou get loose and do some of the things that he can do and have, you know, a 30-point, four or five assist performance where he just kind of dominates the game and really just closes the thing out late like you want him to do when he comes back off the bench after halftime. So I think, obviously, shots shots will come. If they continue generating great looks in transition and in the half quarters they've done all year, shots are going to come. They're going to fall. It's just a matter of when, not if. But I think it's important to remember that even if they're not falling, keep pushing, keep looking to get those quality looks. Um, you know, the third thing I've got, play in the paint and and test Joel and B. You know, with his knee being wobbly or whatever it is, obviously we're not going to get a clear picture of that until we see him on the court, but t- test him. I'm not saying be dirty or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying at all. Don't want to see a guy get hurt. I want him to be as healthy as possible in this series. So when the Hawks beat him, there's no excuse. But, but you know, but look to get in the paint. See if he even wants to contest early in this game. If he doesn't, use that to your advantage. Attack, get those easy looks, get in the paint, get the rest of the defense to collapse, knowing that their rim protector's not there, and then you're kicking out for wide-open looks, wide-open threes, or, you know, another drive and, and another layup or whatever, or a dump down for a layup, whatever it may be. And for the smaller guards, you know, that looks like being crafty. We saw Trey Young kind of use a little dipsy-do layup there at the end, of the, right before halftime. He didn't get it to go, but still, looking to use those types of moves, going quick, using, you know, odd steps or whatever to get the defense off, you know, off balance and throw off the shot blockers timing. And then for the bigger guys, I think, though, and this is where it's a lot of fun, Capella, John Collins, Gallinari, um, Nyeko Kongwu, those guys – take it to his chest and try to put him on the wrong side of a poster. I know Joel Embiid's a big guy. If he gets up and blocks a couple, he just gets up and blocks a couple. That'll just be the way it is. Um, 
but see if he wants to jump with you. See if he wants to contest. And if he does not keep attacking, go at him. You know, there was one time where John Collins attacked and he went strong and tried to finish with a layup. But I really wish John Collins would have just taken one dribble and tried to put his knee in Embiid's chest and thrown it down with one hand because he could have. I think he could have. And I think that's what you need to do to see if he wants to jump and contest. Um, also, keep bringing him out on screen and roll. Take, you know, Embiid to deep water to have to guard Capella or Collins out beyond the perimeter in screen and roll situations. The announcers, you know, lauded his ability to keep up with Trey Young and keep him in front of him for a sequence in game two, I believe. But I'm not sure if Embiid gets caught in a switch like that again, he'll be able to do that now. I don't think he's, you know, I don't think he's mobile enough right now with the knee and whatever issues he has to continue doing that and, and, and keep Trey Young in front. And all that just makes him tired, nonetheless. Makes him tired, makes make him move, make him work on that knee. It makes him less effective on the offensive end. And you kind of see performances like you saw in the second half. You're not going to get an 0 for 12, obviously, but he's not going to be as effective on the offensive end because he's tired, he's having to work, he's having to do different things. And then finally, it comes down to decision-making. Decisions, decisions, decisions. When you get in the paint, Trey Young, Bogdanovich, Lou Williams, whoever it is, or, you know, get him beat into deep water and get him out there by himself on an island on a switch, you just got to be sound. Don't just, you know, hook up a three because you can or force a lob or try to make a play that you think should be there but isn't. You know, value the basketball the same way they valued it in game four. Make the right play every time and punish Philly for taking away whatever it is they feel like they need to take away. If they take away A, we're going to punish you with B. When you take away B, we'll come back to A, whatever it is. Um, And not just in the half court, but also in transition. Take good rhythm shots, no forces. And if you don't have anything you like, get into a set and punish them there like you have been with the screen and roll game and letting Trey Young do what he does. Um, You know, pace is great, you know, as the number one thing there, but you've got to have the ability to make good decisions while you're out in transition or else the advantage is just negated because you're not really maximizing it. You're, You're just throwing the ball away and you're not doing the right things. And then finally, defensively, you know, just don't come out and lay an egg. You can't expect to stop Embiid for four quarters and their offense, you know, Philly is a good offensive team. They have some guys that can put the ball in the hole and, you know, Tobias Harris, who got 20 again, you know, Ben Simmons can play out of the post and do a lot of good things. Um, Furkan Korkmaz can, has kind of come on this series. And also, you know, Seth Curry also can play and some other guys they have, you know, quickly and, um, you know, uh, Shake Milton, those guys, they can play. They're, they're good ball players. But all that in mind – You've got to be sound defensively. They've got to find a way to do whatever it is, whether that means leaving Embiid one-on-one with Capella, whether that means you double at a certain point in the shot clock, whatever it is, but just make sure you know what you're doing. Make Don't have possessions and stretches where you just – look lost as they did in the first half. And I think Nate McMillan's going to recognize that. He's going to adjust. He's going to do know what he needs to do and probably throw that game plan out completely. But all things considered, do those things that you were doing in the second half. Try to make him beat a perimeter big. Um, I don't think he can beat you that way. I think he's good out there if he mixes that in with his low post game. But try to make him a perimeter big, gain rebound, and then get out in transition. But I, those are really the the five keys I've got. You know, it starts with the pace, obviously. Make shots. Attack the paint. Play in the paint. Get in there. Test and bead. Look to kick out to open shooters. 
make good decisions when you get in the paint and which, you know, just what we talked about and then just be sound defensively. You don't have to win the game on the defensive end like you did in, in game four, but you definitely can't lose the game down there. Like you, like you kind of did in, in games two and three. So those are my keys to victory. Those are my thoughts from game four. Um, let me know what you think. Um, be sure to get, you know, follow us on, on Facebook at the four Oh forum and on Twitter at the four Oh forum as well. That is T H E the number four, number zero and the word forum f-o-r-u-m um but yeah let us know what you think give us your thoughts comments questions concerns anything you got that you like didn't like from the show we love to hear from listeners all the time so we love if you have questions or anything like that please feel free to hit me up and, and let us know what you think but unfortunately that's all the time we have like we like i said it's going to be a super quick and dirty show tonight to really get in talk about the hawks talk about the nba playoffs and and really set the stage here for um for for game five a big game five in philly that's coming up here on on wednesday night so um with all that in mind be sure to tune in later we're gonna maybe do another quick little playoff show depending on how this thing heats up and goes into um into the weekend and things like that but nonetheless i'm isaiah thank you guys for listening appreciate it be sure to tune in um wednesday night i believe 7 30 is when the tip off will be so be sure to tune in check out the hawks um thank you guys for listening and i cannot wait to talk to you guys again hopefully after hawks victory